everyone. You're listening to the March 2022 edition of Aeon's Retirement Market Update podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Ricky Marsh, and this month I inadvertently ended up as the chair of a committee after being encouraged to take on the role by other members who are maybe not quite so keen on doing it themselves. I think anyone who's ever seen The Apprentice knows how this story usually ends, but fortunately it's not work-related, so the risk of getting fired is relatively low. Later on, Paul McGlone and Becky McGowan will be joining me for an update from the world of pensions dashboards, but before that, surprise, surprise, here's some news. The government's published a white paper on levelling up the United Kingdom. The government's desire to focus on levelling up has been clear for some time, and they describe this as a moral, social and economic programme for the whole of government designed to spread opportunity more equally across the UK. However, what may surprise you is the role they're expecting pension schemes to play in this. The word pension appears 19 times in the 332-page white paper, although to be fair, five of these are just references to the DWP, and two of them are actually talking about a suspension bridge in County Durham, so they probably don't count. The report talks about reforming rules restricting investment from pension funds and others so we can see more money flow into long-term capital assets. This links back to some of the other recent stories on the new long-term asset fund regime and plan changes to the DC charge cap rules. Also linking back to earlier comments on the investment big bang, the government has a specific request for the local government pension scheme. It's asking all LGPS funds to publish plans for increasing local investment, which will include setting an ambition of investing up to 5% of assets in projects that support local areas. The report claims this would be enough to unlock £16 billion in new investment. The Pensions Act 2014 requires the government to review the state pension age every six years. The first review, in 2017, recommended that the increase in SPA from 67 to 68 should take place between 2037 and 2039, and that's seven years earlier than the current legislative timetable. However, the government decided to carry out another review before implementing this change. Just before Christmas, the government launched this second review. This will consider a wide range of evidence to assess whether the increase proposed at the first review remains appropriate and the results of this need to be published by the 7th of May 2023. The government's commissioning two reports as part of this review. The first will be from the Government Actuaries Department looking at life expectancy. A second independent report has been commissioned from Baroness Neville Rolfe, and the DWP has now published a call for evidence to feed into this report. The consultation is seeking input from as wide a range of people as possible, and it sets out questions on aspects including intergenerational fairness, affordability, and metrics for setting the SPA. The deadline for responses is the 25th of April 2022. Last August, I told you about the DWP's consultation on a stronger nudge towards pension guidance for members of trust-based DC schemes. The DWP's now published its consultation response, together with the final regulations, which will apply from the 1st of June 2022, rather than the original date of the 6th of April. Remember with DC benefits applies to transfer their pension rights or start receiving benefits, Trustees will be required to refer them to PensionWise, explain the nature and purpose of the guidance, and to facilitate the booking of a PensionWise appointment. Before the member goes ahead, the trustees will have to check that they've received guidance or made an active choice to opt out. The new regulations also purport to modify the existing requirement for trustees to pay a statutory CETV within six months, meaning the deadline will be disapplied for cases where the member hasn't confirmed to the trustees that they've either received the guidance or opted out. 
However, we are aware of some informal legal comment that this part of the regulations won't actually work as intended, so there may yet be more changes coming. The pensions regulator also plans to publish some guidance on this before the new rules come into force, so look out for that over the next few months. And in December, the FCA also published its own rules on a stronger nudge for other DC arrangements, such as personal pension providers, and these will also apply from the 1st of June. A bit of an auto-enrolment update for you now. So the DWP's reviewed the earnings trigger and qualifying earnings band for auto-enrolment and decided that these will both remain unchanged between the 2021-22 and 2022-23 tax years. The earnings trigger sets the point at which someone becomes eligible to be auto-enrolled. This is currently set at £10,000 and it's remained unchanged at that level since the 2014-15 tax year. The qualifying earnings ban sets out the portion of earnings on which an auto-enrolled employee and their employer have to pay pension contributions. This ban currently runs from £6,240 to £50,270. This has previously been aligned with the national insurance contribution thresholds, but this year's freeze means the two are no longer aligned, and any increase in pay within this band will feed straight through to higher pension contributions. There are also some wider changes in the works. A private member's bill was presented to Parliament by Conservative MP Richard Holden in January, designed to extend the scope of auto-enrolment by reducing the age at which workers are auto-enrolled from 22 to 18, and removing the bottom end of the qualifying earnings ban so that contributions are calculated from the first pound earned. These proposals were in line with those already pencilled in for the mid-2020s by the government, and the bill was due to have its second reading in Parliament on the 25th of February. However, this second reading has now been delayed to an unspecified future date, with Pensions Minister Guy Opperman saying it was now a practical reality that the bill would not get through in time for the Queen's speech. And if you'd like more information on this or any of this month's other news stories, I'll include contact details at the end. At the end of January, the DWP issued a consultation on dashboards which included our first look at the draft regulations. Since then, the FCA and the FRC have also issued their own consultations, and the Pensions Dashboard Programme has issued a series of documents on the detail of how dashboards will work. So after years of waiting, dashboards finally seem to be coming to life. And while we did talk about this back in September, we thought now was a good time for Dashboards Episode 2. I guess we should give it a more interesting title, but I'll leave that until I've heard more. To help with this, I'm pleased to welcome back two returning guests from previous podcasts, Paul McGlone, who was here for our first Dashboards episode, and Becky McGowan, who's just spent an eye-opening few weeks getting to grips with this topic as part of a new leadership role with Aon's pensions admin business. Paul, just to start us off, what did the consultation and draft regulations tell us that was actually new? Well, to be honest, Ricky, if anyone was following this closely, there wasn't really that much new in the documents. Most of the content had been trailed around the industry before, and so there'd been so many discussions taking place about a lot of the ideas that most of what we saw was really what we were expecting. It was really just a case of getting it all down formally in one place. But there are a lot of people in the industry who haven't been following dashboards closely. And for those people, there is actually quite a lot of material that's new. So the first is, I guess, clarity that this is absolutely happening. Anyone who thought it was going to be kicked into the long grass again is mistaken. But if I had to pull out two specific things, then it would be that the documents cover what you need to do and when you need to do it. So on what you need to do, basically for all active and deferred members in your scheme, you need to provide an accrued pension that they've earned in the scheme 
And for active members, you'll need to provide a pension that assumes they stay in the scheme until retirement age. Now, that means doing quite a lot of calculations for quite a lot of members. So that's a surprise to some people, um, but it's now pretty clear that's what we'll need to do. On when you need to do it, the regulations set out really helpfully when schemes of different sizes need to connect to the dashboards. So you can all look up staging dates. You can go and look up your scheme size, your scheme type, and know exactly when you need to go live. Uh, for, for most DB schemes with more than a thousand members, which I, I think is probably quite a lot of our audience, that's probably over the summer of 2024. Now, you've said a, a lot of DB schemes will connect to the dashboards in the summer of 2024. That seems like quite a long time away, and it's maybe a bit later than we thought last time we talked about this. Do we need to do anything yet? Well, it, it is a long way away, but there is a lot to do before then. And of course, if you're the very largest schemes, I, I said summer 2024, but the very largest schemes will be going in the autumn of 2023. And one of the main things that you need to do is get the technology ready. So that means it needs to be built, it needs to be tested. Now, for most organizations, that means your third-party administrator, so someone such as Aon, will, will do that for you. And, and they'll arrange things like how you physically connect to the, dish, to the dashboard infrastructure, um, and they'll arrange someone to, for example, host your information online so that it can be accessed. Of course, if you've got an in-house administration team, then that responsibility will fall on them. Um, so you probably still have a software provider who can help you with that process, but you're going to be more involved than if you've outsourced it. But as well as getting the technology to work, you've got to make sure all your data is going um, into the dashboard is correct. So that means basic data like names and national insurance numbers, dates of birth and so on. But also the pension calculations I mentioned earlier. So calculations of pensions for all of the members in the scheme. Now, now for most schemes, everything going out the door at the moment to a member is checked by an individual before it goes. On dashboards, everything will go straight from the administration system to the member without anybody looking at it. So knowing that it's reliable is going to be really important and, and that's going to take quite a lot of work. And it's, it's worth looking closer at that point about data and I think this is probably one for you, Becky. I guess schemes have done a lot on data recently, but surely if the data isn't good enough, then it's better to just not provide anything than risk providing something that's wrong. Is it really going to be that simple? So, so, Ricky, you're right that schemes have done a lot on data in recent years. And for a lot of schemes, that, that is going to be really helpful. But, but the crux, the problem of this is it isn't always the data that dashboards need. For example, dashboards are expecting schemes to be able to show things like historic service dates and which company each person worked for at the time. And sometimes information like that just isn't available. And you mentioned not providing information if the data isn't good enough. And you're right. If you know the data for an individual isn't reliable, for example, they have a missing NI number or the pension figure is unreliable, then you can flag that. But what the dashboard regulations say is that if you can't provide a pension figure immediately on the dashboard, you then have three working days for a DC scheme or 10 working days for a DB scheme to calculate that information and load it up. And if you don't do that, then it's a breach of the regulations and potentially that opens you up to a fine of £5,000 per trustee or £50,000 for a corporate trustee for every case missed. Now, we don't expect the regulator to be handing out fines for every case, certainly not in the early years. But right now, nobody knows what we'll see when this goes live, whether schemes will be able to provide information for 50, 90 or 99% of members. So we do expect it to be policed sensibly, at least until it's clear what the experience across the industry looks like. 
Now, Paul mentioned earlier that administrators would need someone to host information online. Does that mean we basically load all our data into a dashboard database that sits on the internet somewhere? Actually, no, although that is a really common misconception and one I have myself and, until my eyes have been opened recently. The way it will work is pretty complicated, but I'll do my best to explain it. First of all, a member goes into their dashboard and there's an identity checking service that checks that they are who they say they are. Once that's done, their information, so things like name, NI number, address, date of birth, they're sent through to a pension finder service. And that goes to every pension scheme in the UK. So that's tens of thousands of schemes. Every one of those schemes take that information and checks it against the records of every person on their database, which for large administrators will be hundreds of thousands or millions of members. And it returns one of three things. If they have a pension for you, they don't send the pension back. They send a special code called a token, which the pension finder service then sends back to the individual's dashboard. If they definitely don't have a pension for you, then they send back a confirmation that they've done the search and don't have a pension. And if they might have a pension, but they're not sure that this is the right person, then they can send back a different type of token saying that they have might have a match, have a possible match. And what the member then sees is these tokens coming back into their dashboard. Now, it's a bit like when you go into Google, you enter your name, then you wouldn't get back a link to every single website in the world, just the ones with your name in them. And the more famous you are, the more links you get. And the more pensions you have, the more links you get. The dashboard can then use those links or tokens to get in touch directly with that pension scheme to ask you for your pension information, which will then be displayed on screen. Now, once the individual logs off, the pension information will be forgotten, but those links or tokens will be remembered so that you don't need to look again next time. Wow, yeah, that does sound a lot more complicated than I thought it would be and quite a lot of work as well. I'm afraid it is. And if you think about how many members there are, then it's it's enormous. Your mind can boggle. So let's say that in a year, about 5 million people look at the dashboards. That's 14,000 people a day. So every day, 14,000 sets of member information gets sent out to tens of thousands of pension schemes. And each pension scheme checks against all of their records. So an administrator with 1 million records is running 14 billion checks every day. And that's just one administrator. Across the whole country, it's something like 1,000 billion checks taking place every single day. It's also worth remembering that in the same way, there isn't just one internet search engine. There isn't just one dashboard. Everyone will be able to choose which dashboard they use. And all the dashboards will have the same access to the same underlying data. So your pension scheme isn't just connected to one dashboard. Effectively, it's connected to all of them. Okay, so coming back down to earth a little bit, uh, Paul, what else should trustees be thinking about now? Well, other than panicking at the scale of it, I think I think the first thing is, as I mentioned right at the start, is look up your staging date, as that will drive everything else. Now, these are only draft regulations at the moment. In theory, they could change. But in reality, I, I think this is pretty well fixed. Trustees then need to build in an allowance for the work on dashboards into their budgets and to start coming up with a plan of how are they and their administrator going to deal with this over the next couple of years. For most people, they've got a couple of years before their staging date, so you do have time to plan. Now, for smaller schemes, you can probably sit back and just wait. Um, carry on tidying up your data, doing, doing the things you know you need to do, getting your calculations ready. But for smaller schemes with less than 1,000 non-retired members, this is probably 2025 onwards, and so you can wait and see what other people do. 
But if you're in the first wave of schemes, there's all the things we've talked about, um, you know, in terms of getting your data, getting your calculations. There'll be things like legal issues to deal with. There'll be questions about how to match your members to dashboard requests. Um, of course, whether you need to code up new calculation routines and so on. So the key thing is right now is speak to your administrator, speak to your other advisors if you're not already doing so, and start to come up with a plan. Right. Well, thanks to both of you for joining us today. Having heard some of the numbers Becky was talking about there, I think our title should probably be The Dashboards Strike Back. So you can probably look forward to Return of the Dashboards coming to a podcast near you soon. Just to follow up from today's interview, I should mention that the Dashboards consultation closes on the 13th of March. So if you did want to comment on the proposals, you may still have a bit of time. That's all for today. So thanks again to my guests, Becky McGowan and Paul McGlone, and thanks to you for listening. I'm off to practice my excuses ahead of the inevitable boardroom showdown with Lord Sugar, but I'll be back with more next month. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget you can subscribe to the series through all the usual places, including the Apple Podcasts app and Spotify. And if you'd like more information on our retirement solutions, or you want to feature in a future podcast, you can contact me on ricky.marsh at aon.com. Otherwise, please visit our website or email talktous at aon.com.